Hey, welcome back. It's Ben here. In this episode, we have Louisa all the way from the Netherlands, who's going to tell you about after her high school friend told her about God, how that changed her life. She's got some sensational miracles that she talks about, including being healed of depression and psychosis, which is pretty phenomenal. How one of her grandchildren was healed of autism and epilepsy. Pretty amazing stuff. And this ganglion on her wrist. I'll include a link in the show notes to what a ganglion is because I hadn't heard of that before. So stay tuned as David interviews Louisa on this great episode. All right, so welcome to the Revival on the Air podcast. And I'm still in Adelaide and I'm still at the Adelaide Convention Centre at the International Revival Fellowship Convention. And we're taking advantage of having so many international and interstate visitors with us. And we just can't help but uh, grabbing people and asking them to share their testimony with us. But today we've got an ex-Adelaide person who now lives in the Netherlands. So welcome, Louisa Visser. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming back to Adelaide. How long since you've been here? About, I think it was 2019, the last time I was here with the convention. Oh no, actually I was this year here. Sorry. I was in, uh, at the end of January, beginning of February, visited Bendigo and Adelaide, but only for a few days. Okay. Yeah. So you're living in Rotterdam now. Yes. But you grew up in Adelaide? Yes. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburbs of uh, Malvern, which is close to Unley and Goodwood and where Paynham Road is. I forget what that area is called. And up uh, Salisbury Way. Okay. Yeah. So how did you end up hanging out at the Revival Fellowship? How did you end up knowing about the Lord? Right. Well, at um, I met a girl at school, at Mitchum Girls High School, which is a school next to the Vogue right next Theater. Next to the Vogue. Yep. And um, what happened was I had, a, uh, my, I suppose, a disagreement with my group of friends. And I uh, decided I would uh, pick, I picked this girl out of my cast and I decided that uh, she'd be the person I would hang around with. And this young lady happened to be part of the Revival Fellowship. So her and her other friend, they, uh, they promptly told me the gospel and uh, invited me to the play, Don't Knock Know It. And uh, I went to that. And then the next day invited me to a meeting. And that's where I heard again about repentance and uh, baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit. And for me, it was an incredibly simple thing. I believed in God and I, I believed that the Bible is the word of God. And I thought, well, if that's in there, you just need to do it. And um, Where did that belief come from? You were only at high school there. Yeah. Well, as a young, young girl, I would go off to the Catholic Church and got introduced to that via some family members. I also went off to the Girls' Brigade, got involved in that uh, just before I heard the gospel. And uh, there you hear stories about Jesus. And so, and I read the children's Bible as a child as well. So I knew of God, but I didn't really know. Well, of course, I didn't know God because I didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So, um, yeah. So when they told me, I, I just thought, well, yeah, okay, if that's actually written in there, then that's what you need to do. I was prepared to give it a go anyway. So so somewhere along the line, you had an understanding of God. Yes. An understanding that the Bible was somewhere related to God. Yes. Didn't know what was quite in it. No, not really. Didn't know how it really related to you. No. How old were you then? You were at high school. 13 years old. 13? Yes. You are very young. Yes. And so when your friend is telling you this, what are you thinking? I just thought, okay, that's you do that and it doesn't matter. I do whatever I do. I wasn't bothered by it at all. You weren't bothered by it? No. But she invited you to the plane? Yes. And now you, I'm assuming you saw the play last night? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That's nostalgia for me. <laughs> yeah. What did you think the first time you saw the plane? thought it was great. Thought the message was great, and um, you understood. You think yeah, you understood, I understood the, the message, message at that yep. time? Yep, yep. 
what that exactly meant for me, but I could understand it. Yeah. And then, of course, I was invited the next day to the meeting and by my friend, but also from the altar call. As a 13-year-old getting invited to the meeting, how did that go with your family? I asked my mum why I just went. Yeah. Okay. Can I go with my friend to church? She said, fine. Yeah. Simple. It was really simple. But because of my young age, because I wanted to get baptised, I had to ask my mum for permission. That, of course, that's the legal and the right thing to do and the oversight obey that. And um, so uh, it's quite funny. I found out years later, my mother meant go a couple of more times and then ask me again. But I, as a 13-year-old, I took the answer I wanted was go a couple of more times and then if that's what you want, do it. So that's what I did. I think at my second or third meeting, I went and prayed in the prayer line, received the Holy Spirit. I knew that because I spoke in tongues and I was baptised straight away after that. So you received the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is that at the Vogue? That was at the Vogue, yeah. Upstairs, I remember where it was, yeah. And what was that experience like as a 13-year-old? It was amazing. It wasn't just the fact that I spoke in tongues. It was quite a powerful in-feeling. It felt like it went through my feet and right out through the top of my head. Yeah. That's all right. And so you were baptised? Yes. Prior to that, did you know what baptism was about? Not that you had to be baptised underwater, no. Because in the Catholic Church, it's sort of, I was so-called baptised as an eight-year-old or whatever they call it, but I don't, I can't even remember if there was any water there. All I remember is that the priest doing something like a cross thing on my forehead and whether that was oil or water, I'm pretty sure it was just oil. So that was my knowledge of a baptism. Okay. But on this occasion? Yes. There was water? There was water. And I went completely under. <laughs> yeah. And so as a 13-year-old, receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptised in water, what happened next? Well, despite my young age, if I could have got hold of cigarettes or alcohol or whatever I, I used to, I would do that. I used to actually have quite a bad, well, I had a foul mouth and that all, that all fell to the wayside. And dancing, I, I used to love to dance, it was at the age of the disco and, um, and I had no desire to do any of that anymore. And um, I just wanted to come to the meetings. And I learned that the reason why I wanted to do that was, was because it was the family of God. That's where I would learn about God. And that's, and that's where I learned that it is my family now. And what I did have the day that I was baptized, because I wasn't brought up with a father, when I was baptized and spirit-filled, I had God. And that meant so much to me that God was now my father. And that, that authority, that um, I suppose that love to know that he would be there for me, that was, so, that was incredibly powerful for me. Yeah. So what was it like growing up as a teenager when you're no longer wanting to take cigarettes, alcohol, discos? I'm sure you were surrounded by it at Mitchum Girls and wherever you went after that. Well, I fully immersed myself into going into meetings and my friends just became the brothers and sisters within the fellowship. So I, I had no desire to go out and be with people in the world. So I spent my time coming to meetings and you know, if we went out, we went out as a group of young people or with the, the families of the brothers and sisters, they took a great interest in me and, um, and I had a follow-up via the parents of, of the young people. So that was, that was great. They, they really did help me, the, the parents of the young people. So give me a quick snapshot of your life after that. I know so you, very quickly, very quickly, you, you left Adelaide and ended up in Holland. But what happened in between? So, so then I, w I was thirteen when I came, and then uh, of course time goes on, and I left school, got work. Uh, my husband uh, Ben in the fellowship, we got married, we had three children, which is also attributed to God. I th I'm pretty sure without God, I would never even had children because of an endometrius problem and and things like that. So I was there's a long story there, but. Uh, so praise the Lord. Um, we had three children and after our third child, we moved to the Netherlands, to Holland. 
to Georgia to be exact. <laughs> and you've been there ever since? Still have been there ever since, yeah. Yep. We had another child as well when we were there and um, they're all sort of just over into their early 30s and one's not quite 30 yet. So, yep, they have their own walks with the Lord. Uh, Louise, if I can ask you, last night you were standing up on stage telling us a story yes. about something to do with the wrist. Yes. And about a miraculous healing. What was that all about? That was about a, a ganglion that I had in my wrist. Can you explain, for the benefit of the listeners, what is a ganglion? A ganglion is, well, to me, very simply, it was a big lump in my wrist. Do you know what causes it? From what I could gather from the doctor at the time, it, it's sort of like if you have a fall, and I think it's like to do with your muscle and you have like a skin on around your muscle or something, and then if it gets has some kind of trauma... And so the muscle is sort of being strained or, and pulled in different ways. And then when it straightens out, it leaves a little gap. And in that gap, stuff can start to build up and grow. And that becomes what they call a ganglion. That was explained to me at the time anyway. Whether that's all 100% true, I don't know, but that's how. So there was a deformity in your wrist. How big was that? Was it visible or was yes, something you could yeah. feel? No, you could see it. How big? I reckon it was about uh, like a $2 piece or even a little bit bigger that you could see. So it's quite visible. Yes. And what does it feel like? It would sometimes shoot pain up my arm and down into my fingers. And it was, uh, yeah, that, that was probably the worst sometimes, just the pain that would shoot up my arm and my entire finger. Yeah. When was the first time you had a ganglion? When I was about 16. That's when it first grew. And um, I had it surgically removed. And I was told uh, the doctors at the time that it there was a 50% chance that it would, um, there was only 50% chance that it would stay away, but there was a 50% chance that it would return. And um, So you had this surgery. Was yes. it successful surgery? It, it was it successful. It worked at the time? Yeah, at the time that was fine. And then slowly over a few years, it grew back. It grew back a second time? It grew back a second time. Okay, and what happened the second time? The second time, they decided that they would do another surgery. So that was after our first son. So I would have been 21. So that's quite a few years in between. And he said it was quite big. The doctor, he really had to make sure that he got all of it. And so I thought I would be all right. But within a year, it grew back. Grew back for a third time. Grew back for a third time. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't keep having operations in the same spot. I don't think that that's viable. So I was at a Chris, uh, well, Christmas camp, summer camp, and um, I went to the prayer line and I prayed with a brother together and I walked away from that prayer and I looked at my wrist and it was just gone and it's never returned. What do you mean it was just gone? There was, there was no lump. There was no physical lump. I couldn't feel anything. It just was gone. So you're at camp in yep. the prayer line yep. with a visible lump on at the back of your wrist. A front of my front, Sorry, front of your wrist. Yes. And painful. Yep. Third time. Yep. I don't want to keep doing this and having surgery every couple of years. So you've gone and prayed. Did you think of anything during that prayer or what was that like? You, you were just there praying. I'd prayed for it many, many, many times. And uh, I think just maybe the, the attitude of just that this just can't keep, this can't keep carrying on like this. It has to stop. And I think that that was the attitude difference in that prayer, that I really wanted this to be gone and that it just was finished. Enough for enough. Yes. So you've walked away from the prayer line. Yep. And then it was just gone. It was just gone. That was it. What point did you realize it was gone? When I looked at my wrist. Straight away. Yeah. So then what happened? What did you do? I was just, I was in, to be honest with you, I was more in shock. I always have a bit of laugh to myself because, of course, 
a healing is faith. And then when I looked at my wrist, I thought, wow, it's gone. I, I was in shock, but I was in, incredibly thankful to the Lord for doing it. Which is a kind of a funny thing because yes. if if we have the faith yes. that the Lord can do it, yes. we shouldn't be surprised. No. But then he does it. Yes. And your first thought was, I'm surprised. Oh, humans are funny, aren't they? Oh, they really are. I mean, if you have a headache and you get a healing because the pain is gone and you feel all right, but to actually physically see something that's gone, that's that's amazing. You don't physically see your headache go away. No, and, and usually it's in retrospect you th- yes. and you think, oh, actually, I haven't had a headache for a couple of hours. Yes. But you don't actually notice that point when the headache goes away. Yeah. Whereas you had walked away from the prayer line, yes. looked at your wrist, and that thing that was there, yeah. about the size of a $2 coin, yeah. was just not there anymore. Yeah. And now you've got a couple of scars on your wrist from, from the previous sh- surgeries. surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think when you see that? Just It reminds me of, of, of the miracle that the Lord did. Now, this was, I'm not going to ask you how old you are now. This was a few years ago. This is quite a few years ago now. Yes. I, I don't mind saying how old I am. I'm 55 now. So this is 40 years ago, yeah. roughly? Well, if I was 21, yeah, I suppose 30 odd years ago, yeah. Has it ever come back? No. Never? Never. Completely healed. So last night you were getting up and on the stage you were telling a thousand people Yes. This story. Yes. Have you ever told anyone else's story? Uh, yeah, over the years, yep. What does it mean to you to be able to stand in front of people and tell your story? I think it's a privilege. I think it's a privilege to be a child of the living God, that the sacrifice that the Lord made is something that not to be taken lightly. You came to know the Lord when you were 13 years old. What hints you coming back? And I don't necessarily mean coming back to this place no, or to this building no. or to this church. What keeps that relationship with the Lord strong? Because I want it, and I don't want to disappoint God for the gift that he's given me. Does that make any sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Just don't want to disappoint God. So over the years, you've been in Adelaide, you've been in Hollands. Yeah. You've travelled around. Yeah. You've raised a family. Yep. What's it like being a mum, being able to raise your children in a way that you didn't experience? No, that's been, uh, that's, that's wonderful to, to have... God is in the middle point uh, of your family. And uh, again, a privilege that they they got to know the Lord and see the Lord in action from the time they were born. And that, that, that this is the best life ever to have a, a wonderful life and a life worth living, to be able to serve your brothers and sisters, but also, I suppose, in, way, in one way, serve the people in the world because you want to tell them about the Lord, tell them how they can be set free. Yeah. So being a mum, um, it's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. Probably best job ever, actually. You've seen other miracles in your time? I've seen lots of miracles with so many people, but for myself as well. Our husband, children, yeah, within our family, our grandchildren. Last night, again, at the meeting, I talked about a couple of things to do with one of our grandchildren. He's been healed of autism and, uh, and epilepsy seizures. So that's, that's been a, a, a wonderful thing for the family to see that. Yeah. I don't know in the natural sense, I'm a, I'm a nurse, I work in mental health. In the natural sense, you don't get healed of autism. No, you don't. I might learn strategies and how to cope and how to interact with people and how to live your life, but doctors don't talk about getting cured of autism. No, he, uh, he had his diagnosis and... So uh, how old was he when he was diagnosed? I think he was three, maybe four, but I think he was about three. My daughter would correct me, uh, but, um, and due to some circumstances, he was 
asked to be sort of have everything re, re well retested is perhaps not the right word, but um, they went through the whole process of doing a lot of tests for for all sorts of things again. And uh, my daughter definitely wanted because she knew that there was a huge miracle. And um, and so the lady that diagnosed him in the in the first place got to see him again. And uh, when she saw him, she was moved because she's never actually seen this ever before that a child's been healed of of autism. This is the same person that the did same the diagnosis. Person. Yes. So you didn't go and get a second opinion and no. someone else said, well, actually the first opinion was wrong. No. What was it, do you think, that that doctor saw in your grandson that made her convinced that this was a different boy? I'm not sure, to be exact, because I'm not an expert on autism, but she was definitely... She was completely moved in the, in the way in in just when she first saw him the second time, and of course went through the whole process again. And uh, I suppose all the things that are supposed to make somebody have autism or the the symptoms that they have, they weren't there. And that's just unheard of from a medical sense. Absolutely, because yeah. Because you don't get cured of it, and you don't grow out of it. No, they're pretty powerful testimonies. Why do you think the Lord? actually does this because you and I were actually both grew up in the Catholic Church. Yes. I'm not aware of miracles happening outside of the pages of Bible. No. And some of the church traditions. Yeah. So like you, hearing about it as an adult or young adult, I thought this was something unheard of. Why does God do this? Why does God heal people? I suppose because he loves us. If you have a child and they're in pain and suffering, as a, as a parent, you would, want to, you would want to take that away. And maybe that's how God thinks about it the same way. Maybe it's that simple. I don't know. I'm just glad he does. Well, it can be simple. Sometimes we overthink things yeah. as human beings. We overcomplicate it. Yeah. But just the fact that we have a relationship with God. Yes. And he sees us as children, yes. as his children. Yes. So naturally, as a father, he will care for us. Yeah. Before we finish, yes, I. Uh, how long have we been talking for? Twenty-four minutes. Yep. I don't want you to walk in back into the hall thinking oh, I should have said this thing. Yeah. So before we finish, is it, are you thinking of anything else that you would like to add to your story or like to say? Well, a few years ago, I was also healed of a depression and psychosis, and that was something that I never thought could ever happen to me. I'd been a little bit depressed before in my life, but I I went into a very deep depression or a severe depression, I'm not quite unsure of the terminology. And a psychosis, I didn't even, and maybe even to this day, still don't quite understand the terminology of the word psychosis. And So what was happening, this is an interest of mine, I'm a mental health nurse. Yeah. So what was happening for you as you were getting more and more depressed? How did that affect your life? I became the severe form, I became extremely paranoid and... I had some very deep, dark thoughts that weren't very good. And I went through through something that put me in hospital. And then a few weeks later, again, I was in hospital again. And what I discovered is that what a lot of people don't realize is that if you have a severe depression and you have an infection in your body, which I did, that can actually cause a psychosis. And that's exactly what happened to me. And um, I had a very bad um, infection on my ovary. And I could have, I could have died. Actually, the infection rate was just going up, and it just wouldn't stop. 
And so they decided to operate. That was their only option for the doctors anyway. So they and would have been giving you antibiotics. They were giving me antibiotics and... for, for a few few days. And, and it was just, they just, the doctors talked to my husband and my daughter. And they just said that we, we it's just, nothing's working. It's just not working. And um, so I went off to surgery. And, uh, and the saints in the UK, of course, the saints in Holland. And um, lots of people were praying for me. And I'm just so thankful that when you're in such dire straits, you know, and things are happening in your life, and you can't really pray that well for yourself because of how sick you are. Their prayers are going out for you. And uh, I really believe that it was the, the prayers of the saints that I was saved. And uh, I will forever be grateful and thankful for that. The Lord brought me through all that, through the psychosis and the depression. I suffered a bit of paranoia for a little while and uh, just getting all through that. And I'm just so thankful for the Lord that even in a situation that you thought you would never be in, that he's there and, um, and he not only helped me, but he helped our family and the brothers and sisters that are around me to, and, and helped us all get through it. So I'm really, really, really thankful for the Lord for that. You had an operation. Yes. For the infection. Yes. Now, if the infection was causing the psychosis somehow, okay, great. That's going to help. Yep. But surgery on your ovaries doesn't necessarily fix depression. No. No. So what happened there in terms of you've gone through this really dark time yep. and you've had medical issues at the same time. Yes. And that's led to psychosis. Yes. So psychosis is an Thoughts about things that are, you're thinking things are real when they're not real. Yes. And in your case, paranoia. Yes. How did you get through that in terms of what, you know, what happened? It was a very strange time, a very difficult time because you think, well, you're rational and you know what you, you think you hear and you, what you see and uh, what you're thinking is correct. And then the people around you, especially my husband, would say, no, that's not true. That's incorrect. Oh, and then, and you, it just did not compute. It was really hard to understand that what you were thinking wasn't real. And um, it's almost scary, actually. And nobody can convince you. For a while, you would listen and they'd be like, no, hang on. Then you would hear something or you would see something. No, 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 no. And so it took a while and I just kept praying and praying. And I think praying in the spirit was the thing that actually pulled me through. The beginning of depression is incredibly hard to pray because you just don't feel like your prayers go above. But once you realize that if you're praying in the Spirit, if you read the Bible, it says that if you pray in the Holy Spirit, you build up your own, your, what is it, your, your, your faith. You build up your utmost holy faith. So you have to grasp onto the Word of God. It's like a rock that the Word of God is not sand. So if you read it and just believe for what it says, so if you just pray, if you're praying in the Spirit, you're building up your faith. So it doesn't matter about any feelings. If you're praying in the Spirit, you're building up your faith. So that's, w that's what I had to hold on to, is that if I just prayed, I was building up the Spirit. That's an easy thing, thing to say here today. Yeah. In retrospect. Yes. But at the time, things like depression and psychosis used to rob yeah. you of the opportunity to rob you of the, the desire and the energy to do that. Yeah. But praying was the key and to keep on going to the meetings as much as possible. Even if I would sometimes have to go and I would pull away or go out for a walk or sometimes I'd go and sit in our car just to sort of not have too many distractions around me. And so that's, that's how I, I, I suppose that's how I coped. It's how I still cope sometimes. But um, 
praying in the spirit is, is really the key. That's what I found. So when it came to your depression and, and psychosis, was this, was there a point in time similar to the ganglion mm. where this thing stopped and it disappeared or was it a gradual? It was a gradual thing. So, so slowly I was, okay, something would happen and, I, and instead of completely falling apart, oh, oh, actually I'm coping all right with that. And then the next thing, and then slowly started to build on all the good things that uh, in my behavior that I was able to cope with again, uh, certain thoughts weren't there anymore. And it just was a slow progress. What was it like for people like your husband, Ben, Pastor Ben, or your children to see you going through this, knowing that you've spent most of your life walking with the Lord, as your husband has, or your children have, but to see you going through this, what was the experience like for them? It's, it's hard on the people around you to see someone, I suppose, like you felt about yourself, this rational person that always could function very well, all of a sudden doing and, and things or, or saying things that were just, just not who that person is. And um, my husband was very uh, straight with me. If I said anything that was out of water or incorrect or he would, he would tell me, there is another pastor in our fellowship, or a few, of course, but um, that were very straight with me, and that really helped as well. You know, um, they didn't modicol it; they just they just did the right thing and would speak very straight to me and helped and prayed. Yeah, but it must have been extremely difficult for you, yeah. even though these are the people that I know the best in the world. These yeah. are the people I love the most dearly, but I can't believe what they're saying because. There are things going on in my head, which I believe more than what's coming out of their mouth. Yeah. It was a very difficult time. Yeah. For everybody. For everybody. In retrospect, looking back, we know that we are human beings. Yeah. We are not infallible. Yes. Things happen to us. So for people going through this at the moment, what would you say to them? Pray. If you're not praying, start praying in the spirit. If you're not going to meetings, go to meetings. Have just a few people that you prepared to confide in. You don't have to confide in a whole lot, but just have a few people that you will know that they will tell you the truth no matter what and accept whatever they say to you. And that's probably it, really. Just don't stay away from the brothers and sisters. Lean in. Somebody told me once about fear, that there's a scripture about there is no fear in love. So people are always trying to sort of throw away their fear to do that first so that they have the love. And this pastor explained to me, he said, if you want to cast out the fear or not have the fear anymore, he said, lean into the love. So don't shun away from the love, which is your prayer, your Bible, the brothers and sisters, the meetings, lean into that and you'll get the victory. So relationships are a real key here. Yes. Relationship with brothers and sisters or family, people that you know and love. Yeah. Relationship with pastors yes. or leaders. Yes. And as you said earlier, relationship with God, yes. our Father, yeah. who wants to care for us like his own child. Yeah. So leaning into those relationships creates something. Yes. Keeps us together when our body or our brain is or our hearts are falling apart. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming back to Avalanche. Thank you Thank for coming you. to the convention. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the convention and the rest of your time in Adelaide. Thank you for coming and speaking and sharing your story on the Revival on the Air Today podcast. 
thank you for having me. Thanks, Louisa, for taking the time with David to tell your story. Pretty amazing stuff. Stay tuned. We've got more amazing episodes coming up of what God is doing in people's lives today. Not as we saw just in scripture of 2,000 years ago, but today, just the same. Until next time, God bless.